Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Welcome back to Game Plan Podcast. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby, another free agent edition, although the frenzy side of it has kind of died down a little bit. There's still plenty of questions and concerns on the current Seahawk roster. And of course, we're still making peace with all the notable departures that have happened over the last few weeks. It's a busy, busy time and certainly an important one in the history of the Seahawk franchise. Um, Brian Perkins, what's up, man? How you doing? There you go. Let out the big old yawn on a Tuesday. <laughs> so excited I've been with, with Seattle's moves right there. I know. Right? Um, Ooh, look yeah, at that. You know, Earl Thomas is still a Seahawk, so it's a good day. Somehow, some As way. of Tuesday, March 20th. Earl Thomas is still a Seahawk. So Sheldon Richardson is no longer a Seahawk. We're going to be talking about that here in a second. Plus a breakdown of some of Seattle's recent signings, including two guys from division rivals. We'll see how good of contributors uh, those guys can be in wide receiver Jaron Brown and uh, safety Maurice Alexander. Also other possible free agent visits to Seattle. Uh, Seattle kind of finding some clarity on its offensive line in terms of personnel. Uh, Michael Bennett went to Philadelphia yesterday. That was Hard to listen to, but uh, happened anyway. And we'll look ahead to what's coming up next for the Seahawks and the NFL in general with the schedule release next month and the NFL draft at the end of April as well. But Perkins, let's start with Sheldon Richardson. He had the season that he did in Seattle. Keep in mind, this guy is still a pretty young player. I mean, 27 years old. So he's got a lot of good football, you would think, in front of him. Even if you're saying two or three years, that's Pro Bowl caliber football that's still in front of this guy, I think in terms of his talent level. But he go he talks to Seattle, and he doesn't get what he wants in terms of money or years. He goes to Minnesota, has a dinner. We get news that he signs with the Vikings on Saturday, and terms of that deal have been about one year and $8 million, which is not out of the realm of possibility that Seattle could have offered him, and yet they never got that far. You know, how much of a mistake do you think well, let's just start with the idea that he is signed with the Vikings and not the Seahawks. How big of a loss is that for Seattle right now? It's really interesting because I you have to wonder what Seattle offered him. You know, the incentives look like they can get up to eleven million dollars for the year for for Richardson. Right. But you have to think Seattle was in that relative ballpark, right? Like one year, eight million dollars. That feels like a pretty good deal for a guy that's still, like you said, you know, I don't think he lived up to expectations last year, but he's no slouch. But I also wonder if Richardson looked at the market, looked at a guy like Sue who's not getting the numbers he's looking for. You know, maybe the tackle position isn't quite as hot as some people anticipated it to be, aside of like maybe a star low to Lele. And he decided, I mean, who knows? You can't get in his head, but you have to think that the fact that Minnesota has signed Kirk Cousins, that they're coming off of one of their best years in franchise history that defensively they are a very, very, very good team, and they just bolstered their roster by adding Richardson to that mix, you have to just wonder if the quality of team came into play, which is hard to say given what Seattle has done since 2012, but you have to wonder if that was a a reason uh, for what he did as well. Yeah, I mean, and you look at just the Minnesota personnel on the defensive line now, you got Sheldon Richardson and Linval Joseph 
you know, next to each other at the defensive tackle position. Everson Griffin, one of the better pass rushers. Danielle Hunter, who's probably one of the better pass rushers that nobody knows in terms of he's an up-and-comer with a ton of potential. That is a fantastic defensive line now that rivals Philadelphia's as best in the league. Um, and you look at what Sheldon Richardson did in Seattle. We, if you look at raw statistics, one sack in seven in 16 games. That's obviously not going to please a lot of people for the price that they dealt to New York to acquire him. 44 total tackles, 28 quarterback hurries, and seven quarterback hits. Those numbers according to Pro Football Focus. That being said, I know with defensive tackles in particular, it's hard to uh, quantify their success in terms of raw stats because they affect the game in other ways, occupying double teams, you know, their effect schematically on teams. Yeah, disruption, and those are those are harder to find, you know, specific stats on. I would have loved to have seen him stay in Seattle. And we thought, we thought when they were making some moves uh, by letting Richard Sherman go and Michael Bennett in that trade, we thought that those were setting themselves up to acquire, to reacquire Sheldon Richardson, did we not? I mean, that, that seemed to be the direction they were going. And then all of a sudden, you know, John Schneider got stingy. I mean, he got really, really stingy. One year and eight... Eight mil with incentives to eleven—that's not impossible to figure. That the Seahawks should have offered this guy. We've seen a lot of guys come and go from Seattle in terms of visits that we thought the Seahawks might. You know, they come to Seattle and they don't leave because you know they're happy with what the Seahawks offered. So I think what you're seeing right now is a team that is pretty, um, you know, cap strapped relatively this year. They've been burned by a few contracts that they're going to have to pay for for the next couple of seasons now. And maybe they're hesitant to give out that type of big money to a, to someone who's in their late 20s who maybe didn't have the impact that they thought they would. And you would have to assume, because a lot of us are, you know, the fan base, you go, God, you traded Sheldon Richardson for a second-round pick for Jermaine Curse, and you basically got a one-year rental from a guy that was on a team that didn't make the playoffs. Right. Which is frustrating. I mean, that that is really frustrating. And But if you're Seattle, you can't just go, well, we have to resign him because – you know, he he was traded last year and we gave up a lot for him and we have to retain him. Otherwise, it's a bad trade. Like, you can't think that way. You have to have the number in mind. And I guess the front office didn't think that he was worth whatever it was offered. But if, if it was less than $8 million, like, let's say they offered him one year, $6 million, $7 million, that feels pretty low. Like, that feels like a low ball offer. It does feel low. It feels like $8 million would have been within Seattle's ballpark, and yet they decided it wasn't. Um, so that was just interesting to say. I did notice this. Lars Russell uh, writes for field goals. I don't know how often, but he had this piece. And the overall topic was debating whether or not this was a mistake, signing Richardson and defining the legacy of any given move, but this move in particular. Um, you know, Richardson, they traded the se- a second-round pick and a third-round pick um, or they got a third-round pick in return and traded Jermaine Curse as well to New York. That second-round pick is going to be the 49th overall pick in the draft this year. Pretty valuable pick, especially considering that Seattle didn't have any, you know, and, and uh, I think still doesn't have a second-round pick as we sit right now. But according to Lars Russell right here, in terms of describing the legacy of this move, he says, yes, it's important in roster building to have a plan and to try to execute that plan as consistently as possible. But it's also a reality that time and events are fluid, changing climates of team needs and available information will alter strategies on the fly. 
It's pretty snappy to look at the final transaction. Richardson came at the cost of Jermaine Curse and the 49th overall pick. Seattle may net, at best, a third-round compensatory pick in 2019, but perhaps much less, depending on their further additions. Maybe it's the right way to evaluate it as a mistake on the balance sheet. Balance sheet. But after Richardson goes to Minnesota, um, I noticed a chorus of voices claiming the decision could only ever always have been a poor plan if they were just going to divest themselves in March all along or lowball him an offer as had been reported. So the overall reaction to the fan base is like, well, look, if you were only going to bring this guy on for one year, you know, you, you gave up way too much form in the first place, but you can't look at it like that because remember the pods that we had in early September was this was one heck of a move. This is the, the stakes for last year were higher than normal. In fact, they were the highest they've ever been. That's why the 9-7 and seven feels so crappy. It's because the stakes were, we all agreed, the stakes were higher than they've ever been. And that's why they made the Richardson trade. It was ballsy, maybe a little too ballsy for a normal year. But for a year in which the stakes were greater than they have been, it was a justifiable move and one we were all bullish on. Yeah, I mean, I think that there was some excitement. I, I do remember thinking to myself, God, could they have gotten an offensive lineman maybe instead of uh, adding to their defensive line? But we, it was very exciting. You were thinking, wow, this is the best front seven in the NFL. And I, I think that article makes a great point in a couple of ways. First of all, it's hard to predict It's hard to predict anything that's going to happen with a team, right? Like, And it's hard to know exactly what the front office was thinking with anything. Going into last year, did they realize, okay, this is our last run with this squad. So we're going to have to tear it down in 2018 anyway because these guys are getting older. They're going to want contract extensions, this and that. So this is our last chance for a Super Bowl with this team constructed as is. We're going to go all in this year and give it our best try and then rebuild in 2018. And if that's the case, then, I mean, they're right on track in doing that. And it just got railroaded because of injuries and things of that nature. And, you know, certain teams being better than they are and not having a freaking field goal kicker. Or was the thought, we're adding Sheldon Richardson. This is going to be a guy that can be here long term. And we're going to keep this thing going as long as we can. But injuries then played a factor in terms of, wow, we're about to lose Cam Chancellor, Cliff Averill, Richard Sermon tears his Achilles last season, so you don't know what he's going to be like coming back. So all of a sudden they go, well, crap, we're going to have to rebuild in 2018 anyway. We're just going to bring in a whole new you know, squad, essentially, um, with, in a lot of prime positions. With him gone, what's the personnel like right now for the Seahawks? I mean, you're looking at um, Nas Jones on the inside, along with, uh, um, I know they extended Quentin Richardson with a tender. Quentin Richardson, I keep saying that. Quentin Jefferson with a tender. <laughs> so you've got uh you've got Nas Jones um and uh you've got Jaron Reed as your two tackles. Quentin Jefferson is still there. You've got David Moore on the outside if you if you need him, but that's not a name that's gonna excite anybody. But your two top edge rushers right now are Frank Clark and Deion Jordan. I mean, are you buying into Deion Jordan as being a, a starting pass rusher again for you in this league? I mean, given the fact that he is a third overall pick with Miami at one point in his career out of Oregon there's a lot of young but almost unproven guys aside from Frank Clark that are on the defensive line right now for Seattle and undoubtedly they'll add a couple more along the way I know they just hosted Tom Johnson DTAC from Minnesota yesterday 
maybe that's a possible fit. I know they're in talks with Indomitian Sue. I doubt that that's going to work out, but you never know. They're going to add somebody along the way. But right now, as it stands, defensive line is as light as it's ever been. Yeah, well, and Tom Johnson doesn't exactly play into the uh, rebuild for one year and gear up for the next year theory, right? Because he's 33 years old. Right. Uh, he, he, he's a good player. Tony McDaniel, uh, Kevin Williams, very similar kind of one or two year plug gaps in the middle as a Tom Johnson would be. Yeah, and Tom Johnson has had a good career in Minnesota, right? He's kind of one of those yeah. guys that on that defense went unheralded because of the types of players that there were around him. Mm-hmm. But he was a good player. I mean, he's been he's really um, you know, changed from a one-dimensional guy. He's a he's a run stuffer. He can get pressure on the quarterback now from the interior. He had 16 sacks in four seasons in Minnesota. That's nice. So I mean, he's not a slouch by any means. Condota had uh, something on him that said he didn't play his first NFL down until 27 years old. A lot of Arena Football League, a lot of NFL Europe, and a lot of um, um, Cal- or CFL. He played in Calgary with Brandon Browner. So a unique story for Tom Johnson, too. And you're right, he has gotten better with age. And he- he's not a dominant player by any means. And he's not like especially good in either category. He's probably above average in both. He's the type of guy that if you have a lot around him, he's a good fit. He's a good fit. He's right. a good fit. Right. But you're right. He is not going to have the big name, necessarily the the big time impact that you would expect from a couple of, of other of these names we're talking about. Right. But with Seattle, I mean, I don't know. I think that in some ways you're looking ahead to 2019 anyway. So, yeah. I mean, you, that's just how I look at it at this point. Right now, are you comfortable with the Naz Jones, um, Jaron Reed, Quentin Jefferson? Th- kind of trio right there on the inside. Yeah, I mean, Jaron Reed has turned out to be a better player than I think a lot yeah. of people expected. And Jones is, uh, other people posted this, his efficiency in terms of uh, pressures and run stuffs in terms of snaps played is is among the most impressive of any young D lineman. So he's got something too. And w- I like Jefferson. You know, he's shown a lot of potential too. Sure. None of those guys are going to, gonna you know, sniff a guy like Sue or, or a guy like Richardson though. Right. I mean, in the long run. Right. That's just the case. At least, you know, Reed's going into, what, his third season in the NFL, so there's still time for him, obviously, to grow into that role. But as of as it stands right now, none of those guys, you know, blow your hair back in terms of, wow, I'm really excited about uh, what this front line's going to do this year. Um, edge rushers, Deion Jordan, Frank Clark. Hopefully, if Deion Jordan is something, you can you can keep that the way it is, but you'll you'll need something else there, too. You'll need somebody else to surprise. Without a doubt. In the upcoming offseason. All right, moving on. Seattle did make a couple of moves, including wide receiver Jaron Brown from Arizona. Very familiar with Jaron, given his uh, he's been in Arizona for five years, so we've seen him play against the Seahawks a lot. Um, he had career years last year with the Cardinals at 27 years of age, uh, posting uh, highs in both receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns. 31 catches, 477 yards, four touchdowns um, while playing 16 games last year. He started eight of them, and that was a year in which that he was coming off an Achilles tear that prematurely ended his 2016 year. 28 years old, I'm sorry, not 27. Six foot two, 205 pounds, so a little bit of size there that we're always clamoring for in the receiver department for their, uh, for Seattle, and he's also got a lot of speed. He would naturally, you know, projected to fit in Doug Baldwin, number one, Tyler Lockett, number two, Jerrion Brown, number three, and maybe an Amara Darbo, Marcus Johnson, David Moore, you know, fixture in there for the wide receiver number four. How do you feel about Jerrion Brown? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know how to feel about him at this point, right? I mean, I think that it's when you hear Jay Brown from Arizona, it wasn't the Jay Brown you were hoping for. 
John Brown. Doing <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, a, a speedster. But, you know, I think that I think that there that I feel better about this receiving core than I did with him signing. I just don't know if he's going to be able to put up. It's funny because with Paul Richardson going into last season, would we have ever thought that he would have the year he did? Well, that's what we were hoping, though. So you're hoping because for, the Detroit wildcard game, he was on fire. He was. He but, made some incredible catches the year prior. Sure, he had made some incredible catches, but he'd been inconsistent. He'd been injured pretty mm-hmm. much his entire career. At the some injuries, point. I think, were the biggest concern. Were, yeah. For sure. So I think that, but going into last year, I just don't know if we expected the production out of Paul Richardson that that the team ended up getting. So you know, I feel like uh, I feel like the receiving core is pretty weak. But in the end, I do think that that's a solid pickup for a team that desperately needed something in that position. And what else are you going to get at this point? Yeah, I mean, unless you're willing to spend some major coin or draft picks for teams that are shopping big-name guys, which we know Seattle's not going to do. I mean, I think that you have to kind of make do with what you with what you can and get the best value you can. And Seattle did that with that we'll decision. Cir- we'll circle back to the pass catchers here in a moment. Maurice Alexander also signed by the Seahawks. This is pretty, you know, underwhelming on the face of it, but you never know. These type of signings sometimes have impact in ways you didn't under- I mean, the dude is also 27 years old, so you'd figure he's still in the prime of his athleticism. Um, he was a fourth-round pick in 2014 of the Rams, went to Utah State, overlapped, I think, briefly with Bobby Wagner did, there, yeah. um, played four games last year. By it for the LA Rams, then got released in October. So obviously Wade Phillips and company were disappointed with him. In four seasons, he's played 41 regular season games, so just over 10 games a year. 113 total tackles, three sacks, five pass defense, and uh, two interceptions. But adding some strong safety depth or safety depth in general right now because that position obviously is in flux. Well, and that was one of those signings where you were like, "Oh my God, maybe they are going to dish Earl." I mean, that's how, not not that he replaces Earl in terms of talent, but when they're bringing in more depth before the draft, before you really have to fill out rosters, you kind of raise your eyebrows a little bit, um, just because you go, "Okay, so what's the plan here?" A little bit. Now, I think the fact that Matthew got signed by the Texans will hopefully give Seattle pause when it comes to trying to dish Earl Thomas, but we'll see. I mean, I, I think that you need depth at that position yep. regardless, though. So um, good signing by Seattle. Safe, safeties right now, Earl, Bradley McDougal, who they signed for three years, and now Maurice Alexander as well. Um, other free agent visits, we talked about the pass catchers. Terrell Pryor visited Seattle on Monday. Now, he has reinvented himself very nicely from being like a converted quarterback to a receiver, but then had a down year in his one season with Washington last year. Never seemed to fit. Hardly got playing time. Terrible. Attitude problems. That being said, height and size, and we know what he was able to do in Cleveland. Could that, I mean, if you imagine a receiving core with Terrell Pryor in the fold, make you happy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was last year an anomaly. It does come down to fit, right? Like sometimes guys just don't fit with systems, with teams. They don't get along with coaches, quarterbacks, whatever. For some, for whatever reason, yeah. it doesn't work despite the fact that they are good players. Right. Um, so is that a situation of that? It can be. I'm still not 100% sold, though, on prior as a receiver. And maybe that's because I'm just think, I keep thinking about him in college and you know as a quarterback and all those things, and it's hard to – detach from that because there's a lot of guys that get converted to receivers. Yeah, but he, he was really good in Cleveland. He was really good. He was. Double yeah. digit touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, that's super great. So <laughs> Yeah, he was. Um so, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that at the right price they're willing to bring one of these guys in, but you know, when you bring in a guy like Jaron Brown as well, I mean, how much more room do you have for receivers unless it's a big name guy? Is he the type of guy that's going to 
command a double team? Is he your number two guy then behind Baldwin? Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not surprised that he came out of Seattle without a deal. Let's put it that way. Well, I Doesn't just look me. at what Seattle has right now, and maybe I'm conditioned to think of the Jimmy Graham factor, but it's hard for me to see a lot of red zone threats. And Pryor would be an automatic red zone threat. That's a good point. And by the way, real quick on Jaron Brown, you know, you look at his stats with so 6'2, 203 pounds. He ran a 4440. Yeah, that's speed. His hurt was 35.5. Um, you know, this is a guy who clearly has a lot of athleticism. Yeah. And so, and look, he played five years in the league, and aside from an ACL tear, he's played in every game. Like, four of the five seasons, he's played all 16 games. Yeah, so you so. just wonder if he's going to be a good fit for what Seattle does. Based on guys that they've brought in in the past, it feels like he might be a good fit. So I yeah. just don't know if Seattle's going to be willing to shell out another, you know, three, four, five million dollars for a for a Terrell Pryor or someone like that. Right, right. We'll get to possible Seattle uh, next moves here just in a moment. Uh, and Dominican Sue met with the Saints, met with the Titans um, I know he's talking, I think he maybe met with Seattle already as well. Um, Dallas is getting in on the mix, but they have no cap room. Seattle's got $16 million, according to Greg Bell. I know you were mentioning that earlier. Is it worth a shot with Ndamukong Sue? I mean, know, knowing what he provides in the locker room, but knowing also what he contributes on the field and the price tag that comes with it, worth a flyer? Not that this would be a flyer, it would be an investment. I don't mean to confuse the two, but... Might be a one-year thing. I mean, I'm not sure if he's even looking for one-year things. At the right price, I think it's definitely a good fit. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, truer words. <laughs> well, sure, sure. That sounds obvious, but I guess I mean, like, I'm not saying like, well, you know, one year, four million dollars. Like, I think that if you can get him, you know, for between eight and ten million dollars, I think you do it if you're Seattle for yeah. sure. Um, Mike Davis, you know, always a soft spot in my heart for him. He visited with the Rams. I feel like all these NFC West free agents start just touring the other teams in the division. You know, it's just transfer. It hurts. But uh, well, they see him a lot, so they probably you yeah. know they they know who they want because yeah. of that. Uh, Luke Wilson visited Carolina, Jacksonville, and Detroit. He still hasn't signed yet. I know there's a lot of time left, but um, back of your head, like come on back home. Like, is there anything there? Maybe, maybe not. Just something to think about. Well, they need a third tight end. They do. They maybe that's swoops. Maybe that's draft. Maybe that's something swoops. else. But uh, you never know. You never know, really. Um, Tom Johnson visiting. We mentioned that earlier. I'd be a fan of them bringing him in. Um, they did make a trade with Cleveland. Seattle got defensive back C.J. Smith yesterday for check this out, Perkins, a conditional 2020 seventh round pick. I mean, how how ho hum can you get? Hey, C.J. Smith, here's your value. Uh, <laughs> conditional seventh rounder uh, two years from now. Yeah, well, look, this is not uncommon. Like, I saw some fans like, oh, wow, what a big move from Seattle and this and that. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> like, they have to fill out the 90-man roster. Yeah, like, yeah. calm down a little bit. These these moves are really common. They probably so. liked him out of college. They The Browns probably weren't going to release him. Browns probably, hey, we get some value. That's worth the deal. Boom, deal is done. Um, Justin Britt had his fifth-year option picked up. And to go on top of the contract extension he already had, now he is under contract through 2020. Well, notable, one, he's going to be under contract with the team for, you know, three more years. But two, does he project, in your mind, will he finish at the center position through the end of his contract three years from now? Boy, that's a good question. I really thought that Posick would go to that position because he's natural there, but I don't think that Britt 
plays well enough to value to validate that contract anywhere else on the line. Yeah, that said, the fact that they have a new offensive line coach, new scheme, new philosophies, new everything, that kind of gives all these linemen a second chance. And not a second chance, but a fresh look. I think Do, does it not? I mean, it's completely different from what they were going. What they were doing with Cable was was not unique, but it was different. Now they're doing something more conventional, and who knows? Maybe he's better in this system as a center than he would be for Cable. Yeah, I think he stays at center. Yeah. Um. So I think what you have right now is you look. You have you have Brown at left tackle. You have Posick there as well, probably at left guard. Right guard. For right Posick, guard. Excuse yeah. me. Sorry. Then your left guard is where is your hole. Mm-hmm. You have Britt, and then obviously you have a Fetty over at right tackle. And a Fetty is going to start at right tackle with Solari for now. That's what Condota has been talking about, and. And his general consensus. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of discussion around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was so penalty-prone last year. So what happens now? What happens with George Fant? Is he a backup? Does he try to play left guard? Do you bring someone else in? Fluker? I mean, what? Is George Fant's value completely gone now that Cable's gone? Because it seemed to be a Cable project that was showing progress, but was still long-term. Yeah, but he was showing progress. La- like, we were yeah. all pretty bummed out when he got injured last year. Yes, right? like, terrible. Without a doubt. So Terrible. I do think that there is some discussion to be had that he is more than just a backup for this team. And I think that's a valid discussion given how terrible the offensive line has been. Um, yeah. It, it's going to be interesting to see if they make any more moves on the offensive line. All right, Perkins, you brought this up. $16.3 million left in salary cap room for, for the upcoming 18 season. Positionally, you know, where else, where else can they look? I mean, I know... Every position besides quarterback could probably, you know, receive an upgrade that yeah, we'd, I mean, be, we'd be happy is, with. They're solid with Austin Davis. Well, he's a free agent though, too. So, well, I mean, <laughs> I, was being I know you're being but... you're being sarcastic. They don't have a they have Boykin under contract, but not Davis right now. Yeah, they'll be fine um, either way. What I mean though is, you know, is there is there with sixteen point three, is there a unit that deserves more financial investment and in free agency right now? more than the others? Is it the defensive tackle position? Is it like a Tom Johnson that could fit in, or is it devoting like mostly all of that to Indomitian Sioux? Or what, what, Where would you like Seattle to make its next move? It's tough because they have so many holes to fill right now, mm-hmm. and with the defense being what it's going to be, you'd like to see a little more money go into the offense, wouldn't you? I mean, you look at this team, and it's funny, as I say that, I'm, I'm talking about how if you're Seattle, you're not giving Terrell Pryor $5, 6000000 million a year, but... At the same time, I mean, you look at your tight end position right now. Seattle has about $2.4, $2.5 million dedicated to that position next season, as opposed to over $12 million last season between their three tight ends. About a $10 million gap investment between last year and this year in the tight end position. That's significant. It's very significant. I mean, that's a huge difference, um, you know, in that position. But that being said, like, obviously you had one of the quote-unquote premier tight ends last year that you're no longer going to have, but... Do you try to bring in another name there? Um, I mean, the tight end market's dwindling pretty fast. I still think defensively is where you have to fill a lot of holes. Your linebacker position's pretty much set, right? At least in terms of starters. As long as you got Bobby and KJ, you're doing all right. Barkevius Mingo I think he'll be is a linebacker, but a lot of talk that he'll turn into an edge rusher because right now you got Deion Jordan and Frank Clark. He's essentially Bruce Irvin. Yeah. I yeah. think that's the full that's that's the mold that he uh, fits into. Yeah, that's how it feels too to me a mm-hmm. little bit. So you know, I, I do think no, obviously tackle is is worthy of discussion as well, and then you know corner as well. 
I mean, I think that there's uh, – Maxwell, does he come back? They haven't signed him yet, right? No. Nope. Is he going to come back? He played pretty well last year um, in the short stint he had in Seattle. They did make a deal with Coleman, if memory serves. Yeah. Tendering they, him. They tendered him. Um, and you still – you know, you lose Shed, but you still have, uh, obviously, Shaq Griffin and Coleman. And I feel like they, they have one more guy under contract, but I can't remember who right now. Uh, I know Nico Thorpe is in that mix too. Yeah, depending on what he is. Yeah, so we'll have to take a look at that. I don't know. I think I well. still think offensive line. I mean, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and right now you have no one to play left guard. So, and last year you plugged it up one and eight with Jokel. One and eight with Jokel. Crazy. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to be that bad at my job and make eight mil. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, coming up next, we got to wrap it up here, but uh, just things to look forward to. The NFL schedule release going to be on or around Tuesday, April 14th. So just keep that in mind. We'll have another podcast when that comes out in a couple weeks' time. Then, of course, April 26th through 28th is the NFL draft. A lot of stuff to get to, uh, and a lot of it depends on on where Seattle goes with the rest of their 16 mil in free agency as well. But uh Brian Perkins, I mean, we're in the we're in the thick of it right now. We're in the thick of this um, reloading process, not necessarily rebuilding, but restocking the shelves at the very least. And it's it's uncomfortable, but it's also fresh and edgy and almost refreshing in that way. Seattle's going to be making a lot of moves still, whether it's in the draft, you know, whether it's trading draft picks to, to try to require more assets, whether it's trading players, whether it's signing guys. You know, all the big names, most of the big names have been have been snatched up, but. Seattle's still going to have to make moves to fill spots, so um, expect them to um, come up a little bit here this offseason in terms of waiver wires and who they're picking up. This is our final pod for the week. We will see you again next week and look ahead to the NFL draft, break down the latest ramifications from free agency. Twitter, at GamePlanPod. He's at Perkins Radio 13. I'm at Judah Newby. This is the Game Plan Podcast.